Good morning, soccer fans. Welcome to another edition of the SBI Soccer Podcast. My name, as always, is Joe Hoynotsky, your one-armed podcast host. And joining me are my fully armed and operational co-hosts, Ryan Tomich and Joe Tansy. Good evening, gentlemen. Are you, how are you feeling, by the way? Like, are you Have you recovered? No, I've not recovered. Uh, I'm, not <laughs> in any, I'm not in any sort of pain or anything, but I, I still have my arm in a sling, and it will be that way for several weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I was like, like, Franco, I saw Franco, you know, tore his LCL or something. You just blew up your arm. I, I think the rest of us should start getting worried. I Do think uh, something's going to go wrong soon, and I'm not looking forward to Do it. Do either of you guys play any sort of recreational soccer, organized, was, or otherwise? I was going to try and play pickup next week, but I'm now way too afraid. There has been a, <laughs> a curse put on the pickup soccer of SBI, and I think I need to avoid it. To prevent this from being too much of an inside joke... I was uh, playing in my AYSO men over 30, women over 25 co-ed league. I was chasing down a through ball, tried to chip said through ball around the keeper, ended up putting it right into the keeper, bounced back down to my feet. I tripped, fell, and blasted my shoulder out of its socket, and now I'm horribly maimed. Joe, what's your injury situation over on your end? I'm pretty healthy, but I don't play a lick of soccer. I play basketball. That, so, that's going to be just as dangerous. I have, you know, tweaked my ankle before, so I'm not immune. Like, if you would have scored, it, would it have all been worth it? Yes and no. Yes, because, yeah, you got the gold. No, because it's over men's over 30, women over 25, co-ed, recreational soccer. Hey, man, you can't. The glory never fades. No, I guess it does not. The glory will never fade. I guess you're right, but I, I still... I, I kind of regret my uh, aggressiveness in chasing down that pass. Right. But see, that if you would have yeah, scored, though, it's a better story. If yes. you would have pulled up, though, you, I, I wouldn't have respected you. You're probably I right. Want, I, want my, I want my team to have heart, and, and you're the type of guy I want on my team, a person who's going to give his all for the team. <laughs> even though I'm absolutely terrible. I even though now you're that. gone. Yeah, even though you're now on yeah. the shelf for an extended <laughs> period. But you know what? It, it was worth it. It was. I was, I was having, it was a shame because I was having one of my best games I've ever had. Even though I hadn't scored yet, I knew I was going to, and I thought that was the moment. But I guess it was not. And it won't be the moment again for several weeks. Thankfully, there, I mean, I suppose we could have gone to VAR, but there, I don't think there was a penalty on the, on the play. I didn't really clamor for one because I was too busy trying to keep my arm from falling off. But it was in the penalty area. They did not go to VAR, which is probably okay considering the, the level of play. But there were a lot of VAR instances, most of them positive this week, actually. And for that, I'm going to hand the floor over to Joe Tancy, who had the idea to talk about VAR this week. Joe, what, uh, give me your VAR assessment for the week. Yeah, it's, you know, we kind of went deep into the pros and cons of VAR last week. And uh, I think by the most standards... Uh, VAR had a pretty good week. You know, there were some red cards uh, handed out, uh, some goals that obviously they lead to be questionable calls because we have social media and things are broken down to the, the smallest frame. But I think for the most part, especially on Saturday, um, VAR, when it came to decisions like Sebastian Javinko's hands to the face, um, 
the the red cards in the Philly Montreal game, and then the um, the New York Red Bulls goal, which I thought was a deflection at first. I think I thought that was the only way they would have called it a goal, uh, but it looked like you know it was possibly onside in in the first place. Uh, there are look there are some tweaks that still be, need to be made because you saw throughout the weekend. Uh, in the last game of the weekend, the LAFC and my CFC game ended with Chris Penso going to the monitor, but then blowing the final whistle, and we don't get a full explanation of that. So I think the one thing we're all looking for now is explain to us what you were looking at because that Red Bulls goal was the same way. I ha- I was guessing. I'm like, well, maybe it was a deflection. It's an own goal. That's why it's you know, being ruled a goal, then, you know, you have people come out with the, the screenshots of the play itself. Looks like it was on side. So a little more clarity, a little more transparency would be nice, but I think uh, it definitely took a step in the right direction this week. Well, it's going to have good weeks. It's going to have bad weeks. I don't think anything is ever going to change that, but it's, uh, it's still in general. I've always thought VAR is a positive thing. They just need to iron, iron out the kinks of it. And, Obviously, even though they got decisions right this week, there were still kinks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, it's going to have hit or miss weeks. We've discussed it. Like, I think this was a good week. You know, in in terms of big winners of the week, I think you have Sporting Kansas City, uh, the Columbus crew, and, of course, you know, FC VAR. So that's good for them. I I had no beef with anything that went on. But, you know, like I said, you do want some of the explanations and, and – in this sport, a lot of the times you don't always get those explanations, but it would be nice to hear some of it. But yeah, like at the end of the day, it's doing better than I, than it was last year, and that's really all you could ask for at this point. Yeah, and you have certain teams that I think for the most part there are sideline reporters on local broadcasts. All you have, you know, the fourth officials obviously in communication uh, with the entire officiating crew. I even something as simple as the fourth official communicating to whoever on the sideline or if it's a team official to relate to the press box to just have give us a heads up on what the call or what's being decided or, or looked at I think is you know it doesn't give away the integrity of the video review I think it keeps everybody informed and it takes away one of the complaints I think that's going to continue to have throughout the rest of the year especially on you know, plays like that Red Bulls goal or at the end of the game of the LAFC, NYC, well, what are you reviewing? Because we don't see much either on replay or in person, you know, live time. So I think that's the one big tweak from the weekend that could be suggested. I like that point on communication because I feel like communication makes everything better. I mean, that might just be because I have a communication degree, but I think uh, a lot of the problem is we don't know what exactly they're doing. And if we could just get some sort of relay onto the TV broadcast or even just an announcement over the stadium, too, which would in turn go to the TV broadcast. Say, hey, the play is under review for offside or the play is under review because uh, Diego Chara went studs up on somebody. The, the play is under review because handball or whatever it is. And that would improve the whole the process a lot better, and it would be one of the kinks that I think needs to be ironed out. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, it's things are going to take steps. Obviously, adding you know VAR in the first place was a big step, and I think 
there are going to be steps made in how well it's used. Obviously, when it first came, it was pretty much widely, uh, I don't even know what the word is, frustrating maybe? Everyone was kind of just frustrated with how and when it was used, and there are still parts of it being worked out. Like I said, I don't hate it as much as some do. You know, you have some coaches who uh, tend to talk bad about it every week. I think it's a natural step, and it's going to take natural steps. And to this point, like I said, I would like to know more, whether it's before the game, during the, or not, you know, at, during the play, after the play, after the game, whatever it is. But like I said, I, I think this week was fine, and I think it's, it's, it's getting better. And I'd like to see what's next. And, yeah, it was a good week. This, is, this should be the week where you hold it up. Yeah, and I think it's fair. You know, obviously we criticize officials a lot when there are bad weeks. Uh, but they're worth commending when they have good weeks. They're not completely, you know, evil human beings. We don't despise them every week. Yeah, do they come in the spotlight more when the, when bad calls are made? Sure, but defenders come into the spotlight more when they make mistakes too. Uh, so I think it's just natural. But, you know, for the most part, it ended up with a good week. And we've kind of compared it in certain discussions to how the NFL operates. Why not say... I'm not saying have maybe an on-field mic, but that wouldn't be a terrible idea to just say, hey, this play is under review for blank, and then go to the review. That won't hurt. I, I, know some people, I know some people have objections to that because it's become it would become too NFL-like, but... I don't know what's next. There are people much smarter than us working on this. Howard Webb's probably thinking about this every single day of his life. Yeah. So, See, I don't think we need on-field mics for any of the officials. Not because it becomes too NFL-like, because I, I don't like giving the referee a microphone to begin with. Uh, I feel like yeah. they either, A, don't know what to do with it, or B, know what to do with it too much and will start talking on and on when they don't really need to. I would rather just have a line of communication from the fourth official or just somewhere to connect referee to press box it doesn't need to go to everybody and the press box can relay the message just i don't i don't necessarily like the thought of giving a referee a, a microphone because it's it's just it, it's a recipe for disaster one way or the other and I, I also just like the whole referee either pointing at the spot or just pulling up the card uh, or just to to use the old the way hockey used to be point to the center circle to signal a goal and I, I, I think just on, on field Mike before the referee would kind of ruin that whole dramaticness of emotion or what have you. Man, half, half the fun is when referees are like overly demonstrative and, and have a little fun. I mean, look, I understand the people who hate it, but I, I, I love it when referees have a little fun with it and it gets a little bit more entertaining like that. But yeah, I think having the on field Mike would definitely, at least for me, it would, it, it would take a little bit out of it. And you always have the purists who want it to be as natural as possible. And, and the purists would absolutely hate having, you know, pauses in action for the referee to explain himself and everything like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I think this is where it is right now. I'm perfectly content with it. I feel like it's a nice middle ground. It doesn't delay the game too much. And, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Joe, final thoughts on the VAR discussion? I think, like I said, positive uh, week for it. We're obviously going to go back to this debate week after week. We're not going to talk about it each week. But, you know, for for the most part, good week for VAR. Uh, and as we say this, there's probably going to be like five or, five or so controversial decisions oh. next week that are really going to determine the fate of it. But yeah. the one the one biggest decision is Sebastian Javinko, hands to the face, stupid moment, and now Toronto FC again 
is without another key player in a key week coming up for them. That's exactly. what we call foreshadowing in the business. Joe, Joe with, a little bit of, uh, with a little bit of foreshadowing into what we're going to talk about next. Next week, I'm sure we'll talk about why VAR needs to die and go away because they got a red card wrong or something like that, or they took eight minutes to come up with a decision. But for now, we're going to take a quick break and come back, and we're going to diagnose the problems with Toronto FC, who are struggling throughout MLS after a pretty strong run in the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll do that next on the SBI Soccer Podcast. Everybody saw the last movie we made, and this one is called What's Really Gone Wrong? What is really, what is really going wrong? What is really, what is really going wrong? And welcome back to the SBI Soccer Podcast, where I talk about the Great White North and what is wrong up there. The city of Toronto, Toronto FC, not doing all that hot right now. Just after cu- coming out of a wonderful CONCACAF Champions League run in recent weeks, they have not exactly done very well. Their current run of form is two losses with a loss at home to Seattle, a loss on the road to the Revolution where they lost Sebastian Javinko. They did beat the Union 3 nothing, but they got... Cursed by Alan Gordon with a 2-2 draw to the fire. And they before the week before that, 5-1 loss to the Houston Dynamo. But to be fair, there was CONCACAF Champions League final in between that. So, gentlemen, we're here to d- diagnose the problems with Toronto FC. What is wrong? What happened last year that is not happening again this year? And what can they do to fix it? Ryan, I'm going to let you start. Give me your take on the Reds. Nick Hagelin, Josie Altador, Drew Moore, Nicholas Asler, Justin Morrow, Eric Zavaleta. You're missing that's one. Tor- that's Toronto's, well, it, Sebastian Jovinko suspended this week. But just say, that's the current Toronto FC injury report <laughs> as of recording. And you look at that injury report, you're missing probably three starting defenders, the ba- a backup defender, your star forward, and one of your mer- most versatile pieces. And I know Toronto FC is probably the deepest team in the league. I know Toronto FC spends the most, and MLS salary information came out. They have the most top-end talent, the most middle talent, probably close to the most low-end talent. If you're missing that many pieces, I don't care what team you are, it's going to mess you up. And now, should it be messing them up as much as it should? That's kind of what we're going to talk about over these next few minutes. But it would be hard for any team really in the world lose that many key pieces and still keep up the level that they expect to be playing at. Joe? Yeah, I mean you get to a point where you can't excuse the injuries anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't excuse these lapses in games anymore. And you definitely can't put up with Javinko's nonsensical red card because then it puts you even in an even deeper situation uh, when you come back home on Friday for Orlando City. Um, I don't think Toronto is completely uh, screwed yet. I mean, they have seven points, but do you really trust the Revs to hang on to that form they're putting together? Nobody else with them beneath the red line is anywhere near convincing of a playoff team right now. 
So it, it's the bottom of the East, and it's just really one unusual member of that group right now. And I think I will, I'll say this now because there's still a lot of season left, and we saw what the Sounders did two years ago. Um, but I think it, the margin of error is starting to close on them. I'm going to mention the one name that neither of you two said, and that's Victor Vasquez. Victor Vasquez, last year, he was a, a, just a stalwart throughout the entire Toronto FC team. He played in 33 of their 34 regular season games. He scored 10 goals, third on the team. He led the team with 11 assists. He was an 84-plus percent passer. This year, he's only played in four games. He scored twice. No assists whatsoever. His passing statistics are down. And overall, Victor Vasquez, who was really the the underappreciated hero on the team last year, despite the fact that he was probably Toronto FC's second best player, is languishing as just completely absent for the entire team. And I want to I, I have a strong feeling that that has a lot to do with why they're not doing all that well in MLS play. Come by with the fact with you know, Josie Altador has been literally absent from the team because he just keeps getting hurt. Michael Bradley is a year older, and he's starting to look like he's a year older. It, just, it feels like the team, while they tried to evolve with the additions of Gregory Vanderveel, who has been okay, I guess, and Oro, who feels like he should be doing a lot more than he really is, I feel like the team, they while they tried to evolve, they really didn't, and they're still kind of relying on the same pieces, and those same pieces aren't able to produce the way they were last year. There's still plenty of time for that to change, obviously. I mean, we're as we speak right now, it's only May 15th, so there's still plenty of time for them to recover, a good five months left in the season, but it's going to take, take work. It's going to take excellent coaching from Greg Vanny, which I certainly think he's capable of doing, it's just not going to be an overnight project, and we're, we're going to be still in June and July wondering if Toronto FC is going to return to what they used to be. So, you know, just looking at this next stretch for them, I feel like that's kind of the important stretch. You know, going up to probably like July 4th, you know, you look at these next games, they have in that mix, they have Orlando City, who's a team they're chasing. The crew, that's a team they're chasing. Philly and D.C. Are, are, are games they should probably win, but at this point, you got to win those. NYCFC, that's a team you're chasing. And then Toronto FC plays N- uh, the Red Bulls. That's a team they're chasing. There's just a lot of teams in there that are in that playoff mix that are now coming up on the schedule. And if, if, if you're dropping three points in those games, if you're settling for one, those are just points you're going to have to make up later. You know, we're at, at about third way point of the season. It's still very early. There's still plenty of time to collect points to make runs and and Toronto FC, I don't think they really care if they get home field at this point. Obviously, it's nice to have BMO field, but but just getting to the playoffs is probably their aim given everything that's gone on. I'm not ready to really be too concerned, but if they if they lose to they Orlando, lose. they don't do well against FC Dallas, and then they you know lose or drop points against Columbus, that's when I think you can kind of start worrying about how many points they have to make up and who they have to make them up against. Yeah, it's kind of as I'm not going to say it's a murderer's row, but. Home Orlando City, home FC Dallas, away Columbus before you go to Philadelphia. So it's going to be another three-game test where you're going to real. It's I think you're not going to be able to truly judge whether or not they've turned it around here. But I would want to reassess it at say the after they come back from the World Cup when they tr- go to New York City. After that point, see what happens to the team after that. 
and see where they are before you can really say, you know what, this is what Toronto's going to be for the rest of the year. This is their chance of making the playoffs. But that's not going to stop us from making a prediction on whether or not they make the playoffs this year. So let's go ahead and do that. Joe, I'm going to let you go first. Does Toronto FC make the playoffs this year? Yes, but the key stretch to watch for them is right after the World Cup break. You mentioned that New York City FC game on June 24th. Between that point and the end of July, they have a four-game road trip at Minnesota, Kansas City, Orlando, and Chicago. They have another game with Chicago mixed in, and they have the Red Bulls at home. After Atlanta on the road, too. And they have Atlanta on the road to start August. That stretch is brutal. I don't care what form Minnesota and Chicago were at that point and what if Orlando still got it together or not. Playing four games on the road trying to make up points isn't easy. So you need to be able to, I guess, consolidate these groups of games by month, essentially, at this point. Set a goal. Can we get X points from you know, the cluster of games before the World Cup break. I think if they get, just looking at it now, if they get anywhere between 8 and 12 points from Orlando, FC Dallas, Columbus, Philly, and D.C., I think they're in good shape. Anything less, then you start to concern yourself a little bit more because of the quality of teams they have to play in the second half of the season. So... I still think they have too much talent to miss the playoffs. Even if everybody doesn't come back healthy, they still have enough in their squad, pure quality alone. And I think Greg Vanny is going to get it together. And worse comes to worse, you go out in the market in the summer. So they're too good to miss the playoffs. Are they a number one or number two seed? The potential for that, I guess, is determined in this pre-World Cup stretch. But if they're too far behind, you can see them entering the playoffs as a dangerous four, or five, or six seed, kind of like Seattle did two years ago, and they got to MLS Cup. So once you're in, that's all that matters. I think I think saying this, uh, excuse me, a one or two seed is way, way, way too much to ask at this point. They're, do you think that even when they're completely healthy, that they're going to be able to catch New York City FC or Atlanta United, let alone Columbus or Orlando? I think five or six is kind of the ceiling at this point. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I, like I said before, I think you just look at trying to make it. You know, once you make it, I think you're fine. Um, yeah, I think, you know, making a run for those top two seeds or top three seeds probably even is, is going to be tough, but... I'm not too concerned about the whole, you know, miss the playoffs thing yet. It's still way too early. Once they're healthy, I could see them going on a massive run over the summer, and I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. Like I said, you do want something from this next stretch of games while you kind of wait for everyone to get healthy just to prevent yourself from having to do something, you know, superhuman as the summer wears on. But, yeah, I'm I'm not too worried yet. I think they have just too much talent, and when that talent comes back, I think they'll be fine. How do you think the fact that you're probably not going to see... I mean, Toronto's backbone is American players with Altidore and Bradley. Javinko, who's not going to be at the World Cup. 
their their guys are going to be they're going to come into that after that World Cup break fairly refreshed, where you could see other teams like for instance uh, that New York City team, which might have a couple guys going, uh, or or the Red Bulls, something like a team that will have players going to the World Cup. Will that will the fact that Toronto FC is going to be able to rest over that ten day stretch help them at all? Yeah, you have to imagine it does. Like you said, there's you look around, there are some some teams that are going to definitely lose some players and, and could maybe, you know, if things go well, lose some players to the knockout rounds. Um, I don't know if it impacts the teams around them crazy. You know, obviously the Red Bulls, If I, I don't expect Panama to go nuts. You know, NYCFC could lose Matarita and Wallace, but neither have really been starting. No, but, um, but I do expect Costa Rica to get into the knockout rounds. So. Yeah, I, I have, hey, that's for another day. I have plenty of faith in Costa Rica. But, you know, just looking at the teams around them and the players that they should be losing, uh, I'm not overly concerned about a team getting absolutely, you know, destroyed by the World Cup. But, hey, crazier things have happened. If, if Panama goes on a run, a few teams are going to be impacted. You'll see. But, yeah, I think I think it'll be nice for them even just during that break to kind of just figure it out. You know, if, if they could look at that and say we're X amount of points behind, we have this many games. Here's what we need to do. I think that that could be good for them. But in the meantime, I think they need to start putting something together, give them something to hang their hat on, and then figure it out from there. Any other thoughts on Toronto FC, Joe? Um, possibly be happy the U.S. isn't at the World Cup now that Josie Altador is hurt. Well, I guess uh, they're Canadians. They wouldn't care anyway. Well, um, for the MLS fans, I mean – if you're looking at looking at it from that, you know, side of the coin, I know that's a completely different discussion, but you would have to think if the U.S. was in the World Cup right now, it'd be in big trouble without Josie and Jordan Morris and Bobby Wood in bad form. So, oh God! Oh God! Uh, could, yeah, there, we could be dealing with a completely different type of freakout. Josh Sargent starting game one. <laughs> Josh Artis and Josh Sargent starts starting game one of the World Cup the U.S. in whatever alternate timeline. Uh, I think Toronto will fix, uh, fix everything. Um, it sucks that they have so many injuries at once, but yeah, they'll be they'll be okay. In Greg Vanny, we trust, I suppose. Basically, yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Alright, gentlemen, we're going to take another quick break and we're going to look ahead to what should be an interesting week in MLS, despite, despite the fact that we don't have any like massive rivalry game to talk about this week. We'll do that next on the SBI Soccer Podcast. No one's gonna see me. No one's gonna overtake me. Nothing to prove it. I get so much to lose, but I'll get through. I'll get through. And we're back to the SBI Soccer Podcast on SBISoccer.com. Ready to look ahead to the week ahead at MLS. Three games that you have to check out among this awesome, awesome slate of games that you don't want to miss a single second of. But since I know no one has the time to do all that, not even us, we're going to pick three of them for you, three of them that you have to check out. And I'm going to go first because Ryan, my boss technically, said so. (laughs) Portland LAFC is the game that I'm going to select because, one, it's on over-the-air national television. Big Fox has that game. And, two, it's just two of the more interesting teams in MLS right now. Portland has looked fantastic since starting off their home schedule after their five-game losing streak to open the season on the road, or unbeaten or unwinning streak, if that's the right word. Winless, that's it. 
And since then, they've gone on to win four in a row, including last week's 1-0 win over the Seattle Sounders. They're hosting LAFC, who, again, since coming home and even before coming home, have looked like one of the better teams in MLS right now. They're always a lot of fun to watch. Portland, a team that likes to possess the ball, pass the ball around, do something with it. LAFC, very similar circumstances. That also, They also like to possess the ball, be a little quicker with it. But in general, you're going to see two teams with very similar styles who also execute those very similar styles very, very well. 3 o'clock is the kickoff on that one on Saturday afternoon on your local Fox affiliate station. Ryan, what is your game for the weekend? I'm, uh, I'm going to take the battle of uh, for East Supremacy. You know, Atlanta and, and uh, the New York Red Bulls are two teams that are in great form. You know, you look at both. They've both won four of five. They're teams that score a bunch of goals. They're both averaging two goals a game. You know, you look at a battle of, you know, top strikers and Bradley Wright Phillips versus Joseph Martinez and top, you know, young South American imports in Ezekiel Barco and then Kaku. It's, it should, it has a game that has the, the makeup for fireworks, you know, and obviously that'll mean that, you know, it's a one nil win somewhere in there just because of MLS. But yeah, in terms of just form, in terms of style of play, it's going to be a quick game in terms of, star power you know this game has it 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 should be a fun one and these are two teams that are right up there competing for everything in the east they're two teams that you know could be a potential playoff preview for these two and uh yeah it's definitely one that for the neutral should be fun to watch just based on style of play alone that one is a seven o'clock kickoff on fs1 joe what are you watching give you a sneaky good game this week uh the revs and the crew Ooh. Uh, I know we. I kind of alluded to the potential U.S. national team forward crisis. Um, even for these three friendlies coming up, Jossie Zardes is the guy right now. He's got eight goals. Obviously, he's thriving in Greg Berhalter's system as the number nine. So this is probably his last game before leaving uh, for national team camp. I would assume he gets the call being – the striker of rank in form. Uh, and then you have Teal Bunbury, who I'm not saying it'll happen, but you never know with how depleted the Ford Corp is. You know, why not give him a shot? He's got five goals uh, for the Revs this year, who are playing some pretty good soccer um, underneath Brad Friedel, uh, which I think at the beginning of the year, all of us were in agreement that we weren't sure which direction the Revs were going to go. And they've kind of been creeping underneath the radar a little bit. They're not in, like, the best of form. But they are coming off a win over TFC. They're, they've beaten Kansas City at home. Um, so I think that included with how the attack is gelling, even without Lee Wynn. Um, I'm not saying they're the best attack in the league, but I think they're consistent enough to – keep an eye on during this slate of uh, night ga- There's only two night games on Saturday. So pop up two screens, watch that, or just watch that and ignore the and we, are, we All Salt Lake. Um, better idea on your end. Uh, but you get the crew coming in five games unbeaten. Uh, I'd like to see how the chess match kind of plays out between uh, Burhalter and Friedel too. I think it'd be a nice little uh, matchup with managers and tactics as well. If you're looking for something fun to read about Teal Bunbury, who Joe mentioned there, 
Carl Sutherland had a wonderful piece on Tuesday on SBI Soccer about how Brad Friedel has gotten the most out of Teal Bunbury and how this year he's really come into his own with that rev setup that in general has been a lot of fun to watch. They sit in sixth place in the East. That game is a 7.30 kickoff. ESPN Plus is where you can find that one. And you're right, I think this is going to be a sneaky good game. You have Columbus, second place in the in the Eastern Conference. New England is only four points back of them in sixth place, and they also have a six-point buffer on that sixth-place spot over seventh-place Chicago Fire. So it should be a lot of fun. Also this week, uh, I have to mention because it's kind of my shtick now, second round of the U.S. Open Cup, guys. Uh, amateurs versus pros. Uh, I, for one, will be watching Detroit City FC take on FC Cincinnati tomorrow night. Gentlemen, are you going to go out of your way to watch some U.S. Open Cup action tomorrow? Does the winner of Detroit and Cincy get into MLS? No, they have to get through one more round. No, no, I'm talking about do they get into MLS oh. as an expansion side? Oh, I wish. I, I, uh, I, really... I wish. Like, why, why have we not... Why have we not made this the 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 almighty game of games? Like you know, obviously you know the golf, which is you know the most expensive game in Europe. You know this would be the most expensive game in North America. You know the winner gets right into MLS and then could could pay two hundred something whatever the uh, the fee is to get in, and it, it'd be great. I would watch every second. <laughs> that would be fantastic if it were actually true. I mean, I know I would love to see a, a, um, in terms a... of action. In Actually, of, in terms of matchups, though, in terms uh, of matchups, it's, it's Jacksonville Armada versus Tampa Bay. Okay, that's pretty go. interesting to me, just because you get the old the old NASL matchup should always fun. And then anything the Las Vegas Lights do, I'm following. So I'm uh, <laughs> I'm all in on everything that goes on with Las Vegas. So yeah, those are they're playing FC Tucson. So yeah, those are the those are the two ones I'm interested in. Joe, are you interested in any U.S. Open Cup second round action? I am. I'm going to keep it a local flavor up by me. Um, the Ocean City Nor'easters, PDL side, had to go to Michigan yeah. for the first They win that game. And what's the reward? They have to go to North Carolina. I, this is one of the rare cases where a team actually has to travel outside of their region uh, just because of how things play out. And, you know, they're going down to play a USL team and have a chance to pull off an upset and – depending on how things go in their bracket or a home game next week. So I'm all for the underdog story. I think that would be the ultimate one so far in the Open Cup just because of the journey they've traveled. Uh, but there are plenty of other teams throughout the, the second round uh, that kind of carry a similar story. They're just trying to upset the big dogs from USL and hope they can get a chance to take on an MLS team in a couple rounds. Last year, amateur sides went 4-20 and 20 in the second round against pro sides. Six of them total advanced, but there were two games that featured amateur and amateur, just like there are this year. But I, I will go back to that Ocean City Nor'easters, Joe. I was hanging out with Detroit City FC people during the Michigan Bucks game last week, and a big cheer went up in a very rainy supporters section when we found out that Ann Arbor FC was losing 3 nothing to the Ocean City Nor'easters. So thank you for that one, at least. I totally can. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, we're gonna take we're gonna take off for the week. Leave it there. Come back next week. Hey, we'll have U.S. Open Cup fourth round ties with 
see how many amateur teams get through. But hey, maybe Toronto FC will go out and win five nothing or something like that against Atlanta. Or they'll lose 5 nothing, and we'll be able to talk about what's wrong with them once again. Well, maybe they'll turn it all around. Maybe VAR will do something crazy. Who really knows? But, gentlemen, where can the world find you on the Internet? Uh, at Ryan Tolmich on Twitter. Joe? Um, at JTNZ90. Uh, just only VAR thoughts, though. Nothing else. No New England Revolution trolling, people. You hear him? No New England Revolution trolling at all. I'm at Sports Desk Joe. You can follow the, the, the SBI Soccer site as a whole at SBI Soccer. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave us a rating or review as well just to tell us how much you love us. But for now, we'll talk to you next week after a wonderful week of MLS and more. Hey, U.S. Men's National Team coming up soon, too. That's, you know, right around the corner. But that is for another day. We'll talk to you guys later on the SBI Soccer Podcast.